is a privilege every time I get to preach the word and I, I never take it for granted. It's a, it's a real privilege to be able to share God's word with you. I just want to start by saying it's really been, for me, it's been an exceptional year. Uh, I think um, the church is coming into a, a great place of joy and liberty and freedom. And uh, I really trust that you feel that same sense of encouragement that I do. And the leadership team does. We, we had a time on Friday night where we just got together just to thank God for the year. And it was delightful just to be able to do that and say, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you've poured out of, upon us. Thank you for the people that you've given that are a great blessing to this church community. So as you go and leave, let that be ringing in your ears that uh, we are grateful to God for you. And uh, that's a delightful, delightful church that God is continuing to build here. Uh, I'd like to talk uh, to you this morning again about serving one another, about love. And I, I started a couple of weeks ago, and I looked out a, a portion out of Mark chapter 9 where Jesus says, if you want to become great, you need to become the servant of all. And I remember I started off with um, Muhammad Ali saying that he was the greatest, and we had, a, we had a look at some of the things that he said. And out of that, uh, I discussed with you just in terms of some of the things we're trying to value as a church, uh, one of the things we do want to value is servant-heartedness. We, we, we want to live for each other and not just live um, for ourselves. And so I'm going to read this portion to you this morning, Galatians 5 verse 13, which says this, You were called to freedom, brothers, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. This is a, Galatians is a, an amazing book. If you've been in the church for a while, we did a study a couple of years ago out of Galatians. Sorry, um. This is ringing. I don't know if it's... You can just take it out of the monitors. Thanks, Leslie. Um, Galatians is really the Christian charter of freedom. It's a freedom charter. And it speaks about the freedom that we have in Christ. It, it, it talks about that we don't have to live by rules anymore. And Paul uses this term, the law. He says we don't have to live by rules anymore trying to please God. Because actually... God has done all that we need through the person of Jesus Christ. He's completely fulfilled God's requirements. And because we believe in Jesus by faith, we already please God. And so we don't live our lives out of fear, trying to please God by following a whole lot of religious rules. We live freely by the Holy Spirit inside of us, telling us how He wants us to live and leading us forward day by day. And we have this incredible freedom that we have in Jesus. And for four chapters of Galatians, Paul speaks to the Galatian church to remind them of the freedom that they have in Christ and to say, don't go back to living by rules. You are free. And now we get to chapter 5, and for the first time, he gives them an instruction. He gives them a command. After, I just want to say this again, he's taken five chapters, and, uh, and what he's told them in the first five chapters is trust God, love God. That's all he's told them to do. And if you read those chapters, you'll see he says it over and over again. He reminds them of the freedom that they have in Christ. And now for the first time, he gives them a command. And he says this, Use your freedom to love one another, not to gratify your flesh. 
And here, flesh in this uh, portion doesn't mean body. Uh, in, other, in other portions of, of the Scripture, for example, it says Jesus took on flesh and He came to dwell amongst us. That simply means He took on a body and He came and He lived with us. Where Paul uses this word flesh here, he's talking about ego. He's talking about what makes us who we are. He's not talking about our body. So he's saying, don't use your freedom to gratify, uh, to gratify a selfishness in you. Rather, live for other people. That's how you use the freedom that we have in Christ. And so that's what I want to talk to you about, being free to love other people. Do not use your opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. I've, I've been thinking about this. There's a terrifying Terrifying verse, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3 says this. It, it, when I read this, it unsettles me, it upsets me. It says this, if I, have, if I give away everything that I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burnt, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Don't you find that challenging? This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Why does it challenge me? Why does it unsettle me? Because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, Greater love has no man to lay down his life for his friends. I'm going to give you some things Jesus said. John 15, 13. Jesus also said that the way that he wants us to live is to love our enemies, to bless those that persecute us, to do good to those that harm us, and freely give our possessions. Uh, Luke 6, verse 27. That's what Jesus clearly taught. And now it seems to me that Paul is kind of saying, you can do all of that stuff, you can live for others, but if you don't have love, you can even give your life, but if it's not done out of love, you gain nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so I've got, as we talk about serving each other and living for each other, and living for the community, and living for the world, I have four very simple points that I'd like to leave you with as we go on holiday. The first is this. I think if Paul is right in what he's saying uh, in these two portions in Galatians and Corinthians, we need to take a good hard look in our own lives at our Christian charitable activity and our Christian uh, activism. This is what I mean. Our nation is full of charities that are doing great things for a great variety of causes and these are some of these charities are Christian charities and it's good I want to encourage you that, that that is part of living for others and serving the poor in our own communities and the world and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that but there can be a subtle pressure on us that's put on us by others and sometimes that we put on ourselves that we must make a difference for good do you ever feel that pressure I feel it regularly. I'll tell you how I feel it because where I live in Nascot Woods, we have always, during the month, at least three or four people that come knocking on our door supporting some charity. And they're good charities. And I always feel this pressure that if I don't give something, I'm, my Christian um, testimony is kind of diminished. And I found myself saying this more and more to these people that come to my door. Thank you, mate. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. But you know, I already give my own money in a number of areas, and please don't, I'm not going to give to this thing today. And please just live free. <laughs> That's what I say over and over. Why? Because there's a pressure. I only have so, so much money, and I've already decided where I want to give it, and so I'm not going to give into that pressure that I must make a difference. 
And I want to say that this pressure also comes from both sides of the political spectrum. Both sides. So on the right of the, of the political spectrum, we have people encouraging us to work for the rights of unborn babies, to express faith in schools, to express faith in the workplace. Um, this often includes in church circles a particular point of view on the Middle East, and that's a whole thing right now, isn't it? Uh, and and uh, how things are working out in the Middle East. Um, those on the right of the political spectrum are, are, are concerned to uphold family values, to work, encourage a work ethic in the community so the nation can have a balanced budget and we can prosper, and I'm sure you can add many things to that list. And then on the left of the political spectrum, we have also, we are encouraged to work for a more just distribution of wealth in the world, for fair trade, for um, military resources to be, um, to be uh, controlled. And there's one amazing example right now in the Ukraine of a, a, a plane being shot down because of some maniacs who've got access to, to um, weapons they shouldn't have access to. Uh, the limitation of nuclear potential amongst emerging economies. These are, these are things that we are encouraged to, to be active in thinking about and to engage in these issues. And there's an the ongoing pressure of global warming, its effect on climate change, the environment, etc., etc., damage to wildlife and animals, many programs to support combat poverty, unemployment, clean water for children. I mean, there's just dozens. And I put it to you this morning, this is not just political pressure, it's also a real pressure from the Christian church, both on the right and on the left. And I think particularly you can see that in the U.S. It's impossible to be a Christian and be a Democrat. Have you ever heard that? So both of these extremes are summoning us to be active. And I say rightly so. Whether you find yourself on the right or you're more on the left, whatever your political persuasion, one thing Jesus cannot be accused of, and that is being indifferent to the needs of people. So I say, let's go for it. Let's be active. But then I hear these words of Paul ringing in my ears, and this is the critique that both the Bible puts on both of those on the left and on the right. Christians on the right and Christians on the left must hear this. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body up to be burnt, but I love not, I gain nothing. So can I put it to you bluntly? <laughs> you can go to hell fighting for poverty programs, or you can go to hell for fighting for the right to express your faith in schools in the workplace. Why do I say that? Because simply, the Bible defines love never just as deeds, never as just doing stuff. It always involves the condition of our hearts. Always. And so if we want to impact this nation and this, these communities in which we live with the kingdom of God's grace, and we want to bring that grace to bear on the problems of the world around us, we have to realize that the Bible is much more radical in its agenda than either the political right or the political left or the Christian right or the Christian left. And so we might find ourselves um, impressed by people who give millions of pounds to help build hospitals in Bangladesh or Romania or to start some particular Christian charity, and those are all good things. But God looks at the heart, 
And he always looks deep into the hidden motives of our souls, and that's what he sees. And Paul would say, though you give your body to be burned in your service, if your agenda is not love, you gain nothing. It's incredibly challenging. So I say to you this morning that Christianity is not primarily an agenda for political or charitable activity. Christianity is primarily the power that changes hearts in a radical way. That's what we're called to do. We are called to preach the gospel. I find myself sometimes talking to other pastors and uh, there's this kind of thing, well, what are you doing in your church? And what, uh, how are you engaging with, with all these issues? And I find myself saying, well, we're doing some stuff, but what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to preach the gospel. We want to preach the gospel and see people's lives change. Because I'm convinced that's the way you should do it. Because why? Because when the heart is changed, then a whole lot of stuff becomes possible that will not, you will not grow weary in and we will not um, get, grow weary of doing good things for God when our heart is changed radically. Amen? So that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. First of all, in your own life, take a good hard look and just live free. We want, we want to make a, a difference to this world and to this community, and I believe we are doing it. And we have things planned that we want to do as a church. But always, the motivation for those things must be love, or else it is worthless. We gain nothing. It's a radical message, the gospel. Secondly, I want to look to you, with you this morning at this command to love each other and the nature of our faith as Christians and how these things go together. I've got four points. This is the second one. Remember what Chris Lane said to us a couple of uh, weeks ago when he was with us? He said, love is not love until it's given away. Do you remember him saying that? The gospel is not good news until it's given away. And uh, if you remember from our study of Galatians a couple of years ago, Galatians 5 verse 6 says that the heart that is acceptable to God is not one which depends on works, on doing stuff, whether that's right-wing stuff or left-wing stuff. Rather, the heart that pleases God is the heart that so depends on His grace that the result of our hearts is love. That's, that's the heart that pleases Jesus. Not a heart that is striving and trying to please Him out of obeying rules. Simply a heart that is so open to the grace of God that the overflow of the heart is always love. Love for Him and love for other people. So I put it to you this morning. I say the essential ingredient in what it means to be saved is love. <laughs> we don't have an option if we say we are saved and that we understand the grace of God. We don't have an option to love other people. Are you with me? Uh, Galatians 5, 6 says this, the only faith that counts is faith that expresses itself through love. And so I put it to you, it's impossible to say that you love Jesus without loving people. And it is impossible to say that you love Jesus and not be part of a local church. It is, it is absolute nonsense. It's not the gospel. And we get, we get so kind of, we want to be so polite with people and not offend people. I know dozens and dozens of people that call themselves Christians that are not part of any local church, happily backslidden, say they're going to heaven and making no difference to the world whatsoever. What is that? It's not love. It's a lot of things, but it's not love. And so, this is what Paul presses 
and expresses again in this verse, in verse 13. Through love, be servants of one another. So when I read that, I asked myself some questions. If, if we are living by the Spirit, why would Paul command us to love one another if it's a consequence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us? Why would he do that? If it's a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 says one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. And so if it is a fruit of the Spirit, if it's something that automatically should flow out of our lives because of the Holy Spirit living in us, why does Paul command us to love one another? Well, I don't think it's a contradiction because I think this. It is certainly is God's sovereign work in our lives and it's a work of the Holy Spirit that produces love in our hearts, absolutely. But God also helps us to reinforce that by encouraging us to obey His commands. It's, it's not something that is a contradiction. These two things work together. God brings about love in our hearts by His Holy Spirit, and He reminds us of the importance of love in our lives by saying we should love one another, and He commands us to do this. And so here we have Paul encouraging this, this um, Galatian church that is free in Christ, not to use their freedom unwisely, but to use that freedom to serve one another and love one another. And so these commands that Paul gives, these encouragements that Paul gives, are really a call. They are summons. They are summons to an obedience in our lives which produces faith, which produces love. That's what he's calling us to. And so he's saying that he wants our hearts to be ones, hearts that are free and so confident in the freedom that we have in Jesus that our very nature of our hearts is to love other people. That's what he's saying. The nature of who you are is love. No one has to tell you to do it. No one has to force you to do it. It's the overflow of what's inside of you is to love other people. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've found in my life that uh, often the, the way that God speaks to me is through His Word. And often it is for me, it is something I think about, and not, I'm not saying you're all the same. You might hear God differently. But it's a theological thing that happens in my brain. And once God speaks to me, that then falls into my heart and my heart is transformed and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how it works for you. That's how it works for me. And so my prayer this morning is as I preach these things to you, God will apply His Word in your heart. By the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of my words, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that love comes more freely to your heart and flows more naturally out of your heart. That's the only object I have this morning. Amen. That love would more and more abound in this place. The love that we have for each other, the love that we have for the lost, the love that we have for the community. Amen. And so I just want to look thirdly at these couple of verses and the, the logical way that Paul unpacks him. He says, firstly, you're called to freedom, brothers. And so he, he reinforces our divine call as Christians. We are free in Christ. Yes? What a, an amazing thing we have. We are free in Christ. And like I've said before, Paul often does two things. He says it in a positive way, and then he uses a negative example to reinforce it. Or he starts with a negative example, and he re reinforces it with a pos positive example. And here again, he uses both the positive and the negative to remind us that we are free in Christ. And he says, in, in a positive way, he says, For the whole of the law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's very positive. Yeah? And then he says, negatively, he says, If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you do not 
consume one another. That's negative. But the main point of this verse is simply, through love, be servants of one another. If you do this, you fulfill the law. If you don't, you destroy yourself. That's a radical thing. He's saying if we don't serve each other and love each other in the, in the church, the church will destroy itself. Why? Because the church starts to backbite and devour. And you know, when you start devouring, you take little pieces out of people, you are never satisfied. That's the image he's using here. You still with me, guys? Okay. So, third point then, is that we serve through freedom in Christ. We serve through freedom. Um, through love, be servants of one another. If, if I just take that first little thing of you were called to freedom and through love serve one another, Paul puts those two things together. He says our freedom enables us to love and serve. And so why is it? I, I think this is the big question that I would like to try and hopefully explain this morning. Why is love which serves the needs of other people, the only way that Christians can express their freedom? It's a good question. Why does Paul put the two of them together? Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. Why does he put the two together? Well, I think this. I think what he's trying to say is that if you try and be free, you lose your freedom. In other words... The works of our flesh and the fruit of love are not two different options that we have to live in freedom. When you live according to the flesh, you are in slavery. Your ego, who you are, is in slavery. And when you serve one another, you are free. That is what he's saying to us. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. We've all been set free by the love of Jesus. Is that right? And we are, all, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is inside of us is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. Paul says this. He says, when you love other people, it's out of the fullness of who you are and what Christ has done in you that you serve other people. That's love. If you are serving others out of the needs of your flesh, in other words, that you need some kind of affirmation when you serve other people, that's serving your ego. You're getting some kind of fulfillment out of it and some kind of need is being met deep inside of you when you serve other people. That is not love and that achieves nothing. That's what he's saying. Do you get it? So, can I put it like this? If you are tend towards being a religious person, this, this is what you will do. You will fill that need inside of you that the ego inside, you'll fill that with rules and regulations. And think when you live by rules and regulations, you are, you are fine. You're doing okay. That's not living out of love. Secondly, if you are, tend to be irreligious, that's always the two extremes, isn't it? Religion on the one hand or irreligion on the other. Legalism on the one hand, licentious on the other. If you tend toward being licentious in the life, this is how you will try and fulfill that void in, inside of you Money, sex, power, drugs, alcohol. That's, that's, the, that's what happens. And all of those things are trying to fill something inside which is empty. And what Paul is saying is the only thing that fills the thing on the inside is Jesus. And when you're you full of Jesus, when you're full of His love 
and you're full of His, his um, grace and full of His truth, you don't need to live a religious life on the one hand, and you don't need to just give into moral excess on the other to try and gratify yourself physically through money, sex, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. You are free in Christ. You get it? And this is good news. Paul is saying, don't go back. Once you've experienced the good news of Jesus, don't go back to that stuff. Don't go back to living a religious life on the one hand, and don't go, go back on the other hand to trying to fill your, the, the void that is inside of you with money, sex, drugs, and alcohol, because the only thing that fills the emptiness on the inside of you is the fullness of Christ. And when you have the fullness of Christ inside of you, you can live for others in an unselfish way, and it doesn't really matter. Amen. Amen. All works of the flesh are motivated by a desire to fulfill our emptiness on the inside. Remember what 1 Corinthians 13.5 says. It says this, Love does not insist on its own way. <laughs> when we love other people with the love of Jesus, we are not enslaved to those people for what they can give us to fill our emptiness. And we are not enslaved to try and use other people to fulfill our emptiness. Love is, that's why Paul says, the only true behavior that flows out of the freedom that Christ gives us is loving other people. And so I put it to you, if you, <clears throat> if you see, still see people that devote large chunks of their lives <clears throat> to surrounding themselves with the comforts of this world and the best house and the biggest car and all this kind of stuff, I want to put it to you that for those people, and I don't judge anyone, but if that is the motivation of our lives, the void on, in the inside of us has still not been filled to the fullness of Jesus. And we are still saying, I trust in those things more than the fullness of Jesus. You see, when we're truly free on the inside, we will be happy to serve others and serve the community without wanting to get anything back because there's a bubbling stream on the inside of us which is the life of Christ. You see, but the flesh, the ego, never gets enough. It's like a vacuum cleaner. It sucks and it sucks and it sucks. And as soon as one bag is full, the bag is taken out, the next bag is put in, and it sucks and it sucks and it just does never get enough. So what Paul is trying to say it's trying to get us to see how that we can have a mountain spring in our lives that serves everybody else with love. And so he puts these two together, and it's my fourth point, my final point. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he says. There's no more fulfilling a way to live your life than to live for other people and to love your neighbor as yourself. And... Um, I want to just look at what that means. Uh, I've said to you before, I don't like that advert where that lady says, uh, use this product because you're worth it. You know, that's, that's kind of... Is, is Paul speaking about that kind of self-love? What does it mean to love someone else as you love yourself? I'd like to just look at that now. The, I think this, the most common mistake that we can make is that um, we think that means to big ourselves up, to grow in self-esteem. That means to, to love yourself. That's what Paul is talking about. Love yourself, be positive about yourself, build yourself up on the inside, tell everyone that you're wonderful, all that kind of stuff. Well, I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all, because Paul, Moses, and Jesus all say the same thing. They all make an assumption 
that we already love ourselves. They never command us to love ourselves more. They, all, they make an assumption that we already love ourselves. You shall love, love your neighbor as yourself. It means you already love yourself. And what, what does that mean? Well, it's got nothing to do with self-interest. It has to do with this, that everybody wants to be happy. Would you agree? Every, why do you take care of your body? Because you have a, a self-interest in your health. You want your body to be well. Isn't that right? So you feed yourself, you clothe yourself, you make yourself, uh, make sure that you have enough to eat and drink and enough sleep because you have a self-interest in your life that your body functions well. That's loving yourself. Isn't it interesting that Paul uses that same thing in Ephesians 5 when he talks about husbands loving your wife. He says this, he says, um, husbands love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So no, no one hates his own flesh, but he cherishes it and he nourishes it, just as Christ does for the church. In other words, what Paul is saying is that we have a natural interest in our own health, our own safety, and our own happiness, and that is something that God has given us. So, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, this is what he means. The same measuring stick that you have for yourself, for your own happiness, your own health, and your own welfare, use that as a measuring stick for everybody else. You get it? In other words, want to feed people that are hungry as much as you want to feed yourself when you are hungry. That's what he's saying. He's saying, want to find... If you, live, if, you, if you love your neighbor as yourself, it means you want to find your neighbor a job as much as you are happy that you have one yourself. That's what he's saying. It means you want to help other students get A's as much as you desire to get A's yourself. That means, that's what it means to love your neighbor. It means to help the person stuck on the M25... As much as you're glad that you're not stalled and stuck on the M25. It means, Tim, it means to give the poor footballer, like me, a chance to play in the game as much as you want to play the whole game yourself. <laughs> or, you get what I'm saying? That's what it means. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. It means sharing Christ with your neighbor as much as you are glad that you know Jesus yourself. That's what loving your neighbor means. In other words, all the creative energy and the perseverance that we use to ensure that our lives go well, that same creative energy and perseverance we put into in equal measure so that others can prosper and others can do well. Look at the person on your right and your left. If you've ever met the person on your right and your left, okay? This is loving your neighbor. <laughs> that person on the right or left of you this morning, the same longing that you have for happiness, you should feel for them. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. The same dream and longing and deep desire in your own heart for happiness and for contentment, and for every good thing, if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we should feel that for the person next to us 
as well. Can you imagine <laughs> if people really lived like this in the church, how radical church would be? I'm telling you, revival would come. We wouldn't have to pray about it. It would be here. There would be a radical love for each other. There would be indescribable joy as we celebrate every good thing that other people are experiencing. Yes? <laughs> when someone gets a great promotion at work and they start making tons of money, we're just like, yes, well, well done. Not, oh God, why isn't it me? <laughs> That's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Yes. That's, I'm telling you, if we could live like that, the power of the Holy Spirit would be with us and we would see revival in this place. And here's the tragic alternative that Paul gives us. If we don't live like that, this is what he says, you will bite and devour each other and you will consume each other. <laughs> I don't want that. Do you want that? Do you want a church full of people that are devouring each other? It's like an image of wild animals that are so hungry that they can't get enough. And they just devour each other. And they bite on each other. And he says you'll destroy each other if you do not serve each other. And so I'm saying to you seriously this morning as we go on holiday, let's think about these things for the new year. If this church does not increasingly become a church that loves each other and abounds more and more in love and loves the community and abounds more and more in love and uh, loves the kingdom of God and abounds more and more, we will destroy ourselves. That's what Paul is saying. Because we'll turn inward and we'll just start bickering and fighting and blah. Do you want to be a part of a church that does that? Anyone? And so my prayer as I go on holiday for all of us is that our love would more and more abound for one another and for all men. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And Paul is trying to remind us that we can only love like that if we are free. And we are free on the inside and our love for others is motivated by the joy of sharing what God has done in our lives. Out of the fullness of what God has done in us, we love others, not out of a desire to fill emptiness on the inside of us. So my dear friends, my brothers, my sisters, that's the kind of freedom that God has called us to. And this church is going to become great in that kind of freedom. Not a slavery of emptiness which bites and devours people that's never satisfied, that's always critical of the church and how it's led and we don't do this and we don't do that and what's wrong with you and we're not, not that kind of freedom. It's Jesus. Jesus offers us forgiveness. He offers us daily help and guidance. He, hope, he offers us the greatest future that we could imagine and it's all free <laughs> by faith because of Jesus. And the secret of that love is freedom. And the basis for that confidence is only the love of God. And so come, we come full circle to where I started. That gives us a clue why Paul says, if you're not that kind of person and you give all that you have and you give up your body and you, all that you sacrifice yourself and you have not love, it is meaningless. Why? Because you're not acting out of freedom. You're not acting out of joy. You're not acting out of the fullness of what God has done inside of you, only motivated by a deep longing to full emptiness. And that is not love.
Let's love one another. Amen? God's been so gracious to us. Let's love one another with that same kind of love. And let's love the lost and the broken so the kingdom can come in this place. Let's determine in our hearts that that same longing we have for our own happiness, we'll have it for the people next door. People that are sitting, Derek will have that for Roger and Renee, and Roger and Renee will have it for Derek, and Kurbis will have it for Nicolene, and Nicolene will have it for, for Zach. I want to be part of a church like that, that lives like that. What a radical, radical gospel. Amen?